Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've put together what might seem like two vastly different musicians, but they're connected by a deep respect and by a truly rebellious spirit that's reflected in their names, Steve Ignorant and Sonny War. Now, Sonny War has been releasing bluesy, folky, virtuosic albums for years, but recently hooked up with the notable Americana label New West for the album Anarchist Gospel, which features not only some of her best songs yet, but also a bunch of notable guest performers like singer-songwriter David Rawlings and My Morning Jacket's Jim James. Now, you might not guess it from just a surface listen, but War cut her teeth not just on classic songwriters and finger pickers, but on plenty of harder, more left-of-center music as well. On Anarchist Gospel, she covers a Ween song and paraphrases a lyric by the legendary anarcho-punk band Crass, which is the genesis of today's conversation. Check out that bit of Sonny War's whole right here. Don't you fake no smile If it ain't true Crass I'm she Now, the other half of today's chat is the guy who penned the lyric that was paraphrased there, Steve Ignorant, a founding member of Crass and still the band's flag bearer more than 40 years later. Now, Crass is often overlooked by punk historians who don't run deeper than the Sex Pistols or The Clash, but they were in many ways just as important. Crass were unapologetically political, making anti-corporate, anti-fascist, anti-racist, anti-bullshit statements in both their music and out in the streets, back when that could be a much more dangerous thing to do. Though Crass split in the early 1980s, Ignorant has performed under various guises over the years and still plays gigs that cover his vast musical history, including new material under the name Steve Ignorant's Slice of Life. At 65, he's still got plenty of the anarchist spirit in him, as you'll hear. Now in this chat, War and Ignorant, that sounds funny together, doesn't it? Talk about growing up as true outsiders, he in post-war England, her in drug-friendly Los Angeles. They chat about War's devotion to crass, including a misspelled tattoo she got way too young. And they get into their problems with how young people are educated and offer a pretty smart, simple solution. Enjoy. Well, how's it going out there? Yeah, pretty good. Um, you must be absolutely exhausted. Yeah, I uh, just got home last night Fuck. and it was 32 days. Yeah, yeah, that. And everywhere that we went, it was just like snowing and raining and just cold and just like, which sucks for me because I smoke a lot. So it's like I'm always outside. How do you keep your energy up? Drinking like a ridiculous amount of coffee. And I didn't really keep my energy up. I was just kind of like grouchy and tired. <laughs> I'm at the point, Sonny, where I'm, you know, yeah, I saw, I want to do it, but part of I don't want to do it. <laughs> I want to stay at home. <laughs> yeah. But I know uh, full well that once I'm in the car and we're driving, I'm like, oh, once we're there at the venue, I'm fine. I'll, I'll just get into it. Do you at least like make sure that there's days off in between? Well, the, the thing is, because uh, uh, the rest, the rest of the band have got uh, daytime jobs, so we have to plan our tours around weekends and sort of where they get um, leave from work. So we tend to do like four gigs at a time and then have a week off and then do another four gigs. That's good. So we do it that, that way. It's it's okay, but it, it can um, stop that momentum that you get. 
you know, when yeah. you're when you're doing it. But uh, and also, it's like once I get home, I don't want to fucking leave again. So, about you, do you get homesick? Yeah, pretty much after like one week, I want to go home. Yeah, just because I get tired of like sleeping in weird places and just like like I was in a van with the with my band and I need my own space. So yeah. and I'm not really like that social. So it gets even just being at a club every night is kind of overwhelming to me because I just don't I don't go out every night when I'm at home. So it's like. It just gets annoying. Like, I'm like, I'm in a bar again. I'm in a bar. Like, and then I struggle with my drinking. Yeah. Like, it makes it too easy for me to to drink too much. Like, if they're just giving me free drinks, I'm going to drink them. Yeah. Yeah. But I was actually good this time. I would say out of the 32 days, I only actually got drunk like three times, which is really <laughs> good for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what's, what's drunk? <laughs> like saying shit to people. I think I'm really funny when I'm drunk. So I, but then the next day I'm like, that wasn't funny. Yeah. Yeah. I always look forward to going because I know I'm going to meet lots of nice people. But night after night of endlessly talking to people and answering the same questions. Yeah. It's like, you know, sometimes I'm stuck like this (laughs) with a smile on the face. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm I'm just going, yeah, no, yeah. uh." Do you get an onslaught of people wanting to talk to you at, at your gigs? Yeah, and it, they always want to talk about the same. Because I guess I'm I'm doing kind of like blues music, I guess, and like playing like an old style guitar style. And it's always the same nerds that want. It's like guitar nerds. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. And then it's like, oh, so do you listen to like they ask me about the same like, oh, so you like Robert Johnson? You like Mississippi John Hurt? Yeah, yeah. And yet, when I do like an interview with someone from the radio or whatever, and they ask those questions, I find myself able to answer it because it's not so personal. What I find, I don't know if it's the same for you, Sonny, because at, at my gigs when people come and talk to me, they don't want to talk about, oh, you know, um, what what microphone do you use and da 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 all this sort of thing. It's always, you know, oh, Steve, you know, you've heard this before, but crash changed my life. So it's yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's like um, that's what I told you too. Yeah, I know, but it's, <laughs> yeah, but with you, I'm saying, well, buy me a beer, call it quits, and then we understand each other. But sometimes, <laughs> if these people are desperate, you know, they've been through a bad, you know, really bad childhood or something. So it, it tends to be every night. I'm so tired because I'm dealing with really intense conversations. And sometimes it's nice to do an interview where it's like, so, Steve, what's your favorite color? Um, Oh, Steve, you know, what's your favorite ice cream? Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure everybody, all of my friends, they would probably ask you, like, really intense questions. I guess that just comes with, it's because those are intense lyrics, you know? Yeah. So it's like people want to get in your head, like they want to try to get in your head and ask about that stuff. I think it's great, but it's just sometimes it's just so tiring, you know, to do that. So, and it must be the same for you, you know. So, you know, no wonder you're tired. So, who's who made that t shirt then? I had this friend, Addy, in LA, and he did, he does screen printing. I can't draw that crash symbol. It does, you can't. It does my fucking braiding. It's like, oh, it's like doing mathematics or so. It's like, ah. I drew it for my tattoo. I drew, well, you can't see it. Wait, you can't see it. Uh, no. Nah. This crafts him. I drew the tattoo when I was 16. I got this tattoo. Right. It says fight war, not wars, destroy power, not people. Right. My 
my friend put it on my arm. He, he was all drunk and like he actually he misspelled the word power. He accidentally made the P into an R. So it says it says destroy Rower. <laughs> but it was like it was like when we were teenagers, we were like giving each other tattoos and like just fucking them up. All right. So what's next on your agenda then? Um, I got here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, I don't I've only been here for like a couple months. I met this girl like she plays like folk punk music. And so they're going to come over in a couple hours and we're going to practice like she's doing a gig. So I'm going to play guitar for her band. Right. And then I'm just going to be hanging out. I'll go hiking. I'm going to go hiking because it just got nice out here. It's like it's like 65 degrees out here. Woo. And it's like surrounded by mountains, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna go walk in the mountains. Right. I'm trying to learn how. I'm not gonna drink until six o'clock every day. That's my rule. Okay. Because I gotta find balance. So I'm trying to just have some healthy activities. I've really had to uh, watch me drinking as well. It's not even like I like the buzz or anything. I just love beer. Like I love beer, so I just can't. I just want it all day, and it's like. But I get to a point where I'm not even hungry anymore. Like, I don't even want to eat food. I just want to drink beer all the time. What I found was that because uh, over here we had this fucking lockdown thing where we couldn't go out. Yeah. And all the, all the pubs closed. So I ended up drinking in my garage. So at least it was a different room I could go to. Yeah. But um, I realized I couldn't wait for the lockdown to finish so I could drink less down the pub. Fucking hell, it's, <laughs> it's in front of me, so I'm drinking it. And it gets... For me, it was like, right, I mean, oh, if ever you come to see my garage, there's sharp with a sharpie. There's lyrics written all over the wooden walls, you know, that I'm going to turn into songs eventually. Oh, cool. And some of them are great, uh, one line out of 50, and the rest is just gobbledygook crap. Um, but it's like, I hit that, this point and I'm like, yeah, that's a great tune. Um, I'll go and get me take, I'll go and get me a little recorder thing. By the time I've done it, I've forgotten it because I've uh, been drinking. And it's yeah. like, ah, if only I could hit that point where, yes, I've got that buzz. Now, I don't need a drink. That's it. I'll just keep that level. One more mouthful, it's gone. It's so yeah. bizarre. It's fucking really irritating because I love beer. There's something about a hangover, though, that I feel like gives you a lot of creative energy. Like, I always feel like the day after, if I'm hungover for some reason, I feel more creative. Like, I could write a lot. It don't work like that for me. I'm going to send you some tracks because I do. I make like kind of punk tracks, too. Like I have like a home recording. I would like to send you something and see if you would if you would write to it. Oh, fair enough. Let's give it a go. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then you could get me on American TV shows. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Now yeah. what do we talk about? Because the thing about <laughs> doing the thing I feel about doing this, Sonny, is that it's like having a personal conversation with you but I'm aware that other people are going to listen to it. So I can't be as I can't be as open with you as I'd really like to be because I'm sure that me and you together could get pretty controversial. Yeah. But I, but I don't want it to go out live because there's going to be people waiting to pounce on us. You know. That's another thing I'm I'm trying to do. Like while I'm home, is just like not not read too much stuff online and not interact too much. Like. Because sometimes I, I don't know, like I, I get carried away and I'm like, wait, why am I letting like strangers like affect me and like how I'm feeling today? Yeah, it's really difficult to defend yourself um, or, you know, answer that because they'll just come back with something else. 
Yeah. And then and then it annoys me. And then that just escalates the situation. It just escalates. And in the end, I'm like, all I want to say is fuck off. <laughs> Sometimes I think you do just got to say fuck off, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had to the other night, some, some bloke in the pub. Oh, arsehole. Just, you know, meh, 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 meh. What the was time. he saying? Oh, just fucking racist, sexist shit, the usual bollocks, you know, that we've heard millions of times. And I went, mate, do me a favour and fuck off over there, can you? He's doing me a... <laughs> you'll give a fucking aspirin an ache. He went, oh, before I phoned you. I went, yeah, you have actually. And he went on and on. Then he started poking his finger in my chest. Oh, and shit. I was, yeah, and I was like, right, now definitely fucking do one fuck off. So his mate's got him in sort of your way. But yeah. Yeah, I still get involved, Sonny. I don't, you know, for the age I get of six. into fights. If somebody pokes, yeah. if somebody poked me in the chest, I would fight them. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. I would be like, no. Yeah. Like, I used to carry a knife around. I got. That's why I, I can't even be out like that. Like I can't even really be out. I go to shows, but it's like I have to have like a babysitter. Like if I yeah. go to like a punk show, it's like there's got to be at least two people with me that know. Like when I'm about to get mad at somebody or something. It's not that I get mad. It's, just, it's like people really are stupid and saying crazy shit. And if I've had like a couple drinks, I can't handle people saying crazy shit. Mm. And I kind of physically react sometimes. Chattanooga, Tennessee has a punk scene. Like we have pretty cool shows out here, even though it's such a it's a small town. But there's like a lot of bands here. I have to remember, like, I can't have bad interactions with these people because this is the punk scene. This is the only scene here. It's like once I get it's like I can't make everybody hate me in the first month of living here. Yeah. Just start. I'm trying to learn also how do you be an adult or whatever or be mature, you know? I don't know if you ever do become one. I don't know what an adult is. You know, if you're talking about those boring arseholes who just moan about everything. You know, I don't know. I'm never going to be one. Look, Sonny, for me, I'm 65 years old. So I'm, yeah, I've got a right to be miserable and sort of grumpy. <laughs> well, you're not, though. No, not at the moment. But when I'm outside, <laughs> you know, so I, I take no prisoners anymore. You know, I used to be the nice, polite person. Oh, let's talk about this. Now it's like, fuck you, fuck off. If you become an adult, you know, if you're being, if you're creative in your head in some way, how can you grow up? I was talking to G, you know, did the, the, um, the crass covers mm-hmm. and she used to teach children you know um drawing and um i said well did you enjoy it g and she went i did until one point and then i stopped it and i went why did, why did you stop and she said because i did the worst thing ever in my opinion and i said well, what and she went i taught the children how to uh, draw in perspective and i went well what's wrong with that and she went well the minute you learn perspective you're now trying to put everything like a photograph yeah. rather than like rather than a kid a child's drawing will be this is my daddy big figure this is our house small this is my mummy slightly bigger this is me as big as her mum you know it's like it's all the way the child sees and feels that will, yeah. once you apparently once you teach people perspective it 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 takes away that innocence it's kind of like the magic of it all you're not as creative yeah. you just become machines really yeah, because a song has got to be okay. Is the first uh, the first verse is uh, four lines long. The second verse is four lines long. Then we have a chorus. And then we have uh, the middle eight, and then we have the uh, verse, and then we have the chorus, and then we have the run out. But who says it's got? Who says it's got to be like that? Yeah, it's like somebody made a rule, and then as yeah. soon as somebody makes something that doesn't follow that, 
then people are like, oh, it's so progressive. It's so innovative. And it's like, no, it just didn't think about rule, like the formats and rules. Yeah. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Well, I first started I first started listening to Crass like, okay, when I was like 13, I was always kind of like hustling for money and shit, like so I could get beer and cigarettes and stuff. So I figured out there was like a record store, Amoeba Records in LA. They would buy CDs. And like, so I would go to Target and I would steal DVDs and CDs and then I would take them to the record store and then I would trade them in so I could get records that I wanted. So I start. that was the only way I could actually listen to music. So I got a Crass CD, I got X-Respect CD, I got like Sham 69. But then, the, I don't know, Crass was just instantly like one of my favorite bands just because... I don't know, like, uh, like Big A, Little A, like, it, like, for me, because I didn't have any friends, and I wasn't really politically thinking about anything. I don't know. I feel like it just guided me as a kid, and it kind of, like, it made me feel like the reason I didn't have friends was because they were all, like, the same and, like, trying to be the same, and I couldn't figure out how to act like the other kids at my school, and then... It turned out that I was actually, I had like multiple personalities and later I I got diagnosed as schizophrenic when I was in my 20s. But I think there's just a lot of stuff going on mentally and I just didn't know how to connect with people. And I felt like Crass like empowered me to feel like just be a fuck. you're just a fucking weirdo and you're an individual and it's okay. And like, just stop trying to like connect with people if you can't fucking connect with people. So then I started like going to shows and then I kind of really did find like a family like in the LA like crust punk scene. And then I don't know. And then it also made me start writing my own lyrics and then starting my own band. 
And we were both like, or me and my bass player were just both really into crass and just like it got us into other band. Then we started listening to Zounds and just like other like anarcho punk stuff. And then it just, I think that just changed my whole life, like how I think about things. And it just helps me feel less like, I just don't, I just don't care about anything that's happening in the world, but I also really do care a lot. But I think there's something kind of like, almost like monk-like about, I don't know, man. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying, but you get what I'm saying. Hmm. (laughs) Like, I'm not religious, but I feel like kind of religious about those lyrics. Yeah, uh, I I understand exactly what you're saying, Sonny, because obviously I've heard that a few times in different versions. But I remember doing when we were playing crash gigs and uh, I realized after about 10 gigs that the audience we had, if you could see photographs of them now, they wouldn't look punk at all. And they were very young kids, maybe 14, because we used to let all ages in. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe they'd have a safety pin in their school jumper or a badge, you know, a clash badge or something. Um, or maybe they'd have a little bit of colour in their hair or something. But I realised that we weren't, and I'm proud of this, actually, that we weren't um, attracting the cool, um, chic punks, you know, the, the London set or the Bromley contingent, if you know what I mean, like Sex yeah. Pistols, Spray Gigs. We were getting the fucking misfits you know, who were so uncool, they couldn't even fit into punk. Like the fat kid who'd, who'd been bullied at school or, or the, the kid with sticky-out ears or uh, the girl with braces on her teeth or something, you know. It was all these sort of people. And that's what I'm, I think one of the things I'm most proud of with, with Crass is that we managed to touch those people and gave those people a scene and a voice, you know, or at least yeah. inspired, inspired them to do something, you know, because I meet some of those people now and, you know, um, I mean, I met one bloke um, last year and he said, Steve, you know, I just want to thank you, you know, for Crash. And I was like, he said, I know you've heard it before. He said, but I just want to tell you that I've just passed my master's degree in English literature. I went, oh, well done. And he went, yeah, but when I first got to see it, I couldn't read or write. And it was trying to read your lyrics that made me learn how to. Oh, and I was wow. like, fucking hell. And that was really, I thought, I thought how wonderful is that? Out, the Outsiders, <laughs> the Outsider Band. Of the outsiders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you're so uncool, you're super cool. What was that like the being there like like the sex pistols? Like what was that like? Like just being in England in that time. It well the sex pistols had already gone by the time, you know, we formed in seventy seven and they were already Oh yeah. I mean I've I think it was a year later they went to America and didn't really come back, if you know what I mean. Um same with the clash. Uh, they became very professional and sort of disappeared. But it was, you, when you walk down the street, you know, when I had hair, you know, I'd spike it up, you know, it was always spiky. I used to dye it. Um, I used to head it, actually. And uh, you knew you stood a good chance of getting a black eye um, from someone who didn't like the way you looked. I mean, I was an 18-year-old kid, for fuck's sake, you know. But you'd go in, you'd, you'd see another punk on the street and you'd instantly sort of, click in together so it became like this little community people would stop on the on the street and stare at you as you walked past because they'd never seen anything like it before and it, yeah. you, it, it that really felt that felt empowering you know and it, it wasn't an aggressive thing but it's like yeah i am different 
I think that's what's missing now, you know, is that sort of um, you can dress as outrageously as you like and everyone goes, yeah, seen it before. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And it's like, yeah. oh, I, I wanted to make an impression there. And, it, and I think that's, you know, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's difficult to describe something because it was like, Bristol Mike was like over 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, um, but I just remember feeling it was a very special time and I wanted to be a part of it. And my God, did I take beatings for it, but everybody did, you know, but we, we've survived it and we're still going, you know, and I, I just wonder now what those, Christ almighty, those 30-year-old men, uh, English men, gentlemen, beating up 15-year-old kids, you know, now, yeah. they're pushing, now they're pushing their great-grandchildren around in pushchairs with their beer belly and their thin gout and their lips and their dodgy kneecaps. I wonder if they sleep well at night thinking that they beat up children. They probably have done a lot worse than that. You're quite right, Sonny, yeah. Yeah, the world's shit. Let's just I hope their it. kids, <laughs> uh, their grandkids grow up to be freaks with spiky hair. Yeah, I'm sure they will. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because uh, in my local pub, if I walked down there, if I was to walk down there wearing, um, a, uh, wearing lipstick and a wig and a skirt, no one would take any notice. <laughs> right. They go, oh, it's Steve fucking around again. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but if the, when I sometimes I like, I like to dress up in a suit and a tie with cufflinks. Sometimes I like to do it. So you know, just make I move different, I feel different. It's just a nice. You're different. You're different. Yeah, yeah. And when <laughs> I was a, when I was a kid, I never had nice clothes. If you know what I mean. So I could never fall. Anyway, but if I walk in there wearing a suit, oh, what are you wearing a suit for? Are you going to court? <laughs> Oh, you're going to a funeral? I'm like, no, I just fancy wearing a suit. Well, what for? Well, because it makes me feel nice and and they can't get it. It's like really... <laughs> yes. Fucking nuts. That's <laughs> how I feel about... Wait, hold on. Let me show you my hat. I, got, I went to a thrift store. It was like so cheap. Everything was like $2. And I, and I got this whole like old lady outfit like with like a little blazer and shit. I just want to dress like an old lady sometimes. Because yeah. <laughs> I just get it. I see the ladies going to church and I just get inspired. I'm like, that's nice. But yeah. then, like, my mom, she thinks that because I send her a picture and she just thinks, like, she's like, you need to see a doctor. You need to talk. You need a therapist. It, it's it's fun to dress nice sometimes. It's fun. Yeah. Just to, yeah. And I try to, I wear pearls. I was wearing pearls. But it does kind of look like I'm wearing a costume, like I'm about yeah. to be in a play or some shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you guys have pubs. We don't really have that. When I was in England, I felt like it's like the pubs seemed more like communal and more like everybody was just talking to everybody. And it's like it doesn't like here. It's like doesn't feel like that when you go to a bar because uh, every well time in England, I was just meeting people at pubs every time. And it was just fun. And they were doing karaoke. It never feels fun here like that. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I used to hang out in uh, when I was in a band called, um, oh, Christ, uh, Schwarzenegger. And this is back in the 19, oh, 1990s. And we used to, um, when we played America, we used to stay with people in Brooklyn. And there used to be a really nice old-fashioned bar. Uh, where were they? Greenpoint in uh, Brooklyn. And it used to be... There was a there was a, a a really old fashioned bar which must have come from the nineteen twenties or something, and you'd walk in there and they still had the the uh, individual booths where you could sit. Oh, cool! Uh, and you knew that the tiling on the floor was 
gangsters had walked on that, you know, like Al Capone type yeah. gangsters walked on it. I didn't go back for years, and I went back in 2011, and we played in Brooklyn, and I decided to look around. Mm -hmm. And I could have been in Camden Town in London. I could have been in Oxford Street in London. Everything was gone. The whole country is like that now. Like anywhere you go, it just all looks the same. The beauty of going different places like is gone now. Yeah, yeah. So I'll move you on that, yeah. Me and my friend, my well, I guess he's my tour manager. We were talking about that. It was like we were driving pretty much around the whole country, and it's like everywhere looks exactly the same. Like the only thing different is maybe this town is flat or this one has mountains, but it's like it's like, oh, McDonald's, Walmart. McDonald's, Walmart, like over and over again. Yeah. That's what I've been I've been thinking like I want to like find like a Canadian or something to marry. Like so or anywhere. Somebody who wants to switch. There's somebody who wants like American citizenship. So I'm like planning like to like just like marry somebody and we can trade countries or whatever. Yeah. One of my yeah. best friends is from Mexico City. And when she first came, when I first met her, she didn't speak English like at all. I think I met her when I was 15 and we just liked, we were always at the same shows, like, and we were friends. And I remember I brought her to my house one day and then I told my mom, I was like, Hey, this is my friend Rosa. And she was like, hi, Rosa, nice to meet you. And Rosa was like, like, she just doesn't speak English. And then my mom was like, how are you guys friends? Like, if you can't yeah. talk to each other. And I was like, we like discharge. Discharge? You're, you're, you both like discharge? Have you seen the doctor? <laughs> no, no, not that sort of discharge. No, it's a, a package. Yeah, my mom hates, she hated all that shit. <laughs> so did mine. <laughs> and she didn't like, I remember, I would tell her like, I would be like, hey, I'm going to get a tattoo after school. And she would be like, yeah, right. And I would come back with a tattoo and she would be like, where are you getting tattooed? Like in her mind, she was like, nobody's going to give a, t a kid a tattoo. It's illegal. And then I was like, okay. And I'd be like, I'm going to get a nose ring after school. And she'd be like, yeah, right. And I just came back. I would just keep coming back with like more yeah. piercings. I used to have so yeah. many piercings. And she would like, uh -huh. there's nothing she could do about it though. Uh -huh. There's enough fucked up people in LA. I can get, if I want a tattoo at 13, I can get a tattoo. Yeah. yeah. But now I think she's, well, she doesn't think about me anymore, but. I feel bad for her because I, when I started going to shows a lot, because I would just like leave, I would just go out. And then and, like sometimes I wouldn't come back till like the next day, like in the afternoon. And she would like call the police and shit. And she, like I would come home and she would be like, I just put a police, I put a missing children's report out to the police and the police are looking for you. Like, and I would just be like, just, I can't tell, I would tell her, I'd be like, I'm going out tonight. And she just like thought that was my sense of humor sometimes. Like she didn't understand. I would be at some fucking squad house, like seeing a band and just having a good time. But I think now when I look back, I'm like, yeah, that was really young. So to her, it's like, there's just some little kid that's just lost or something. It's strange because I remember at uh, the age of 15 being totally aware of what was going on around me. Um, you know, even though I was, yeah. I was still at school, uh, not going very often, but I was still at school. Uh, but I remember being totally aware of what was wrong with the world and what I didn't like about it and, and what I didn't like about my uh, my parents' attitude. You know, I, I had a stepfather and he was a complete and utter arsehole, absolute moron. I remember being aware of that. And of, of course, kids of 15, yeah, what are you going to do? Handcuff them to the, to the 
settee or something to stop them going yeah. out and, and force them to watch certain programs. It's stressful going to school every day like that. alone. It's like being in jail every day. That's a crazy amount of hours that kids are expected to be in school every day. Because even when I've had jobs, I wouldn't I didn't feel like it was that fucked up, like that stressful. Like, so I just feel like, yeah, kids more than anybody need to go out and drink on the weekends because that's fucked up. And it was just like, what is the fucking point of me going? I'm not I'm not going to graduate. It's obvious that I'm not going to graduate. I don't know. I felt like more than ever, I needed to go to shows because I, ha- I felt stressed out and just like not being legally allowed to leave. It was like, what the fuck am I doing? I did end up just leaving when I was. I guess around like 14 and 15, I started like just fucking leaving the whole city and just like disappearing. Mm -hmm. But then she finally was kind of accepting of it. By the time I was like 17, she was like, I guess you just don't live here anymore. And I was like, yeah, I don't live here anymore. Like I'd rather fucking sleep in an alley than live there. I felt bad for her being worried all the time. I found myself just suffocating in that fucking situation. And I don't, I didn't know what I wanted, you know, but I didn't want that. Um, and I, and I, if look, if people like that sort of life, fine. But I just desperately had to get out. I'd have gone more if it had been slightly interesting. But it was so fucking boring. Oh, um, would you like to do music? But, oh yeah, I'd like to be a pop star one day. Here's a recorder. Fucking <laughs> whoever invented that fucking instrument should be hung, drawn, and caught because that's the worst. Um, how the fuck am I gonna? Uh, am I gonna uh, play a Dave Bowie song on a fucking recorder? Because that's what I want to know how to do. <laughs> you know, no, all right. Well, there's the violin. Brilliant. All right. They said, yeah, yeah. What am I, well, I'm not. Um, you know, I can't do. Um, can't buy me love by the Beatles on that, can I? No, it's fucking Bobby <laughs> Shafter. <laughs> oh, fuck. No. Oh no. Give. You know. It was so stifled. Yeah. It totally puts you off. It put me off learning how to yeah. play an instrument. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my yeah, they over. don't. I really wish that school would be like, what do you actually want to learn? They just there did it go. like, because there's people, there are people that like math. You know, it's like, don't make everybody do everything. Like, yeah. that just seemed like a waste of time. And then especially like, like sports and shit. I feel traumatized from like being forced to play sports. Like it just was really uncomfortable. And then I can't see very, I have glasses. I just never wear them, but like, I'm almost blind. So it's like, there is a lot of like, like I can't do hand-eye coordination. Like I didn't even have glasses when I was in school. So it's just fucking embarrassing. Like trying to make me catch a ball and I can't fucking see. Like, it's just like, it's like they should have just let everybody do what they want to do. But yeah. still be learning, but learn what they actually want to do. Yeah. The only thing that really stuck was reading. Like, I can't really think of anything that I ever learned in there. Uh, do you know what? I'm the same. And that was such a waste of time. The town I grew up in, uh, Dagnum, was very industrial. You know, and I knew that at the end of school, every boy in that school would end up working in that factory, like a car factory. So I, I, I was like, well, I'm sort of, you know, I was getting into motorbikes. You know, and, and stealing them, and, and yeah, all that sort of thing. You know, and so are my friends, and we desperately wanted um, somewhere to go to take a get a, a, a steal a motorcycle and take it apart bit by bit, and then put it back together. So if we're going to go into a factory that's making, well, why not have a workshop there where you know, do you want to be a mechanic? Oh yeah, yeah, all right, here you go. Then this is how you this yeah. is how an engine works, and blah 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 blah. You know, oh, you want to be a um, you want to be a, a chef. 
yeah, okay, well, this is that, da, 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 da. you want to be at that? I just feel like trade school is way more useful. Mm-hmm. It's like when somebody's like, I know how to fix this. I'm like, well, that's j- that's a real thing. Like when somebody does welding or something, it's like, that's real. Really, what schools should be doing is nurturing, Yeah. Uh, um, you know, the innate talent that people have got and working that out. But if, if someone wants to be an actor, you know, and they've got that, well, then edge them towards that, nurture that. Yeah, you know, nurture that creativity because it's it's very rare, you know, and it needs nurturing. And and you know, I think you know yourself, Sonny, that a lot of people who are involved in, I include me and you in that. You know, we're in the creative arts. You know, we're very delicate. You know, fucked up, um, and we need you know, but we're tough because we have to be. In England, the government or wherever they are, they hate anything creative. It's anything different. <laughs> they they'll stamp on it, and it's like. So, Steve, why did you start a band called Crash? Fucking because of them. Yeah, they need to be compassionate. Yeah, that's exactly the word, Sonny. We need a lot more compassion. All right, Sonny, look, lots of love. All right, lots of love. Yeah, take it easy, but take it. All right. And uh, I'll see you soon, yeah? See you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Steve Ignorant and Sonny War for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform, And check out all the good stuff we've got at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.